On Safari, a boy learns to act like a man. Daisy's Safari Mark I BB gun teaches the same lessons. There's no room on a big game hunt for a boy who doesn't understand safety and marksmanship. A kid has to learn fast. Now, the Daisy Safari Mark I BB gun can teach those same lessons. It's not a toy. It's a BB gun. It has big gun features like a crossbolt safety and trigger guard cocking. But it's a BB gun. Scale down to your size. And now, you can learn marksmanship with the exciting Daisy BB Target Trap. It's a $4 value, now yours for only $1.99 when you buy any Daisy BB gun. Take the coupon below to your store when you buy. For even more fun, pick up your booklet, The Air Rifle Marksman, where you buy your Daisy. It's only 50 cents. Learn the lessons of a safari with the Safari Mark One. Or choose from over 30 models of Daisy Spring Air CO2 and pellet guns. Since the 1800s, Americans' boys have learned marksmanship with a daisy. Now it's your turn. Daisy, since 1886. Daisy. Welcome, dear listener to our podcast, Chef and Rick present Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, where we journey through each issue of comics that include a member of the most underrated Marvel series from the 80s while drinking beer, analyzing awesome and amazing adjacent adolescent adventures, and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. I am Rick. And I am Al. This is Random Bender, this is Random Bender, pumpkin scream in the dead of night. Random banter time, buddies! Talk to me, tell me tall tales and tantalizing tidbits of trivia today! I know where that's from. Do you know where that's from, Al? Yes, I do. Where's it from, Al? Nightmare Before Christmas. I thought you were going to say it's from Disney World down the street. I was like, no! <laughs> <laughs> no, Disney World's not down the street. It's down the street to the right. Get it right, oh, come on. Oh, perfect. It's good to get those directions. Universal's to the left, Disney's to the right. I will take your word for it. You haven't invited me over to your house to check it out yet, so... Bankruptcy's either way. Bankruptcy's either way. <laughs> and Al's stuck in the middle again with them. So why would I have picked a Nightmare Before Christmas song? Because it's an absolute nightmare to record with you two guys. Yes! Yes! Plan worked! And that's our Christmas <laughs> gift to you, Rick. Pain. Suffering. Eat it. Where is the Christmas? Where is the Christmas? We are not doing Christmas yet. It is too early for Christmas. I don't care what those bad word people at the store is trying to tell me. Uh, Rick's having a war on Christmas again. <laughs> now I know where it comes from. I want to get through Halloween and Halloween being there too early before I even get to Christmas. And I want to get through Thanksgiving first, too, before I get to Christmas. No, I got to skip Thanksgiving. Sorry. No time. No time for Thanksgiving. Look, we have to start Christmas already. You know, it's not even Halloween. We don't have time for Thanksgiving. We got to get rid of one of them. Yeah, summer's almost over. We need to get Christmas. Well, I, I just have a problem with I go to buy my 4th of July fireworks and they got the Christmas fireworks right there. I think that's <laughs> way too early. Way too early. I'm also confused by the whole summer's over. Almost over. <laughs> summer's never over. <laughs> oh, no. Summer's over. Portland got the message yeah. over the past two days that summer is over. Yeah, right Por quick. Portland said, hey, you know that sun that you always like? Here's rain. Oh, you, you didn't have rain over the summer? Here's some more rain. And here's some more rain on top of that. Yeah, we were getting all the rain right now. I saw a satellite image of the atmospheric river. And I'm like, oh, that's why they call it that. Because it's just a stream of clouds that looks like a river. And it's just dumping right over us. And I don't know. I'm sure we could use the water and all that. And I'm... I put more blankets on my bed because uh, it's cold at night and, you know, 
pants instead of shorts and all that jazz. So uh, now you're just talking heathen talk because it's always shorts weather, always short weather all the time. You turn the heater on. Well, yeah, there's no heater. I mean, it's still the same temperature in my house. I even went outside. It's like raining. I'm in shorts and sandals because mm. I'm crazy. You're one of those. I'm also sick, too. So, you know, there we go. <laughs> I'm in shorts, too. Of course, it's like 89, 90. So. Yeah, because you you flew in all the way from Florida, and boy, are your arms tired. I know. They hurt, too. Ow. Oh, well, at least no blisters, so I'll take that. So, why are we doing this? Why did we drop this on your feed on a Monday morning? Hmm, Monday morning? Is that right? No. This would be a Tuesday morning. A Tuesday morning. Because we have not learned our lessons. Because that's when it's going to be coming out. <laughs> and this is like, what, the sixth year? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like our show where it's just, it's an April Fool's joke gone long. <laughs> On ourselves. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we get more people involved in it, too. <laughs> yeah, this, the, the Halloween stuff was a game of chicken that nobody blinked at. And now here we are <laughs> six odd years later. Hey, but this year we actually are a little more organized. We're so organized that we have a number of people that are joining us. Uh, let's just go through the list real quick here. We've got Resurrections, uh, the Warlock and Anthanos podcast. That's me. is Al's show. We've got Married with Crossovers podcast, or MWC with John and Maggie. We've got the Outcasters podcast. We've got Coffee and Comics. And we've got Ninja and Bots. Ninjas and Bots. Ninja. Who are Ninjas and Bots? That's John Wilson and... Don't know her that well, so I'm trying to remember her name. I'm sorry. B-Lane. B-Lane. Okay. There we go. John Wilson, I know. Yeah, yeah. I know that name. Yeah. It's their Transformers Ninja Turtles podcast. Oh, that makes sense. Cool. That makes sense. Ninjas and bots. So, yeah, we got more people joining on this time. And this time we're doing the tradition, something that has been done by every podcast since the dawn of man. The Rutland, Vermont crossover extravaganza. Woo! Woo! Yeah, I hadn't heard of it before this. See, that's because you live under a rock, my friend. Ha! <laughs> joke's on you. I live underneath two rocks. Mm. Gail Simone was actually making jokes about it on Twitter yesterday, about Rutland. This has been a thing. It's been in the comics for, you know, since the late 80s, or since the early 80s, late 70s. It, early 70s, actually. This is like 19... Early 70s. Yeah, these are like 1970-71 comics. You're right, you're right, you're right. So this has been around for a while, and since the advent of podcasting, a lot of podcasters have covered these because it's a great excuse to do a crossover. It's DC and Marvel working together, sort of, kind of, not really, it's okay. It's two great tastes that you know. Pretty much. <laughs> Somewhat adjacent to each other. Somewhat. <laughs> Close by, almost touching, almost, almost, almost. No, 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 can't touch. Tangentially waving their hands at each other and kind of doing literally-ish crossovery things. In the vaguest of senses. And I know that the one that we're going to cover on the Outcasters with Tim really ties into this issue. Yes. Which one are you doing, Al? I am going to be doing part three, the Thor issue. Ah, so that's, these three actually kind of work together then. Yes. There were several one-shot issues that just happened to take place in Rutland, but these three issues were actually done by the creators to be an actual somewhat crossover. Yeah. Well, we got this one because we were bad. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this will learn us for making sure that we speak up earlier rather than later, because this is what we got. <laughs> it's a fine comic. It is a comic. Did you read the one we're covering with Tim? Did, I read, did I read the correct one? <laughs> <laughs> I've read them both. Because I'm just saying, I thought this was a fine comic too. And then I read that one and I was like, hmm, I have questions. Mm, there are not answers. There are not answers. We will get to that, though. I am sorry, too. I'm a little bit on the negative side. I am trying to battle a cold, and it's killing me. So, a day of work, and then 
trying to do this. I am trying to fake enthusiasm. It's awesome. <laughs> Al, it is great to see you. Honestly and truly, it's nice to see you again. It's nice to do a crossover with you. It's nice to talk with you because you're a fan, you're a friend, and you got a fun little podcast. You do too. Yes, I do. It's good to see you. Yes. No, it's good to be here with you guys. Besides, you know, everything else and driving ourselves nuts. This part's fun, at least. Yeah. And no other reason. It's the Northwest Southeast connection, really. Yeah, it's more it like is. a cr- crossover. Like yeah. Cross that way. We, we are a diagonal crossover here from where we are at and you are at, but that, that makes it even more fun. That was kind of a random banter, I think. Good it was definitely enough. random. Yeah. I think we could probably just move on with the issue and start talking about it because, you know, if we don't, Mephisto's going to come in here and start yapping his gums at us. And oh, smell. God, that guy. I swear to God. I miss I Mephisto. He's kind of fun. I mean, he's neat. I mean, he hung up on me on a, uh, on a Zoom call once, but, you know, he probably had a bad connection. I don't know what the Wi-Fi service is down in Mephistoland. Well, why don't you go find out? But before you do, can you give us a two cents replay from the last episode? You bet you, my friends. So, oh, well, um, hmm, let me see. Uh, oh, uh, it's Halloween now, and, uh, Beast has hair. Okay, Jeff, don't worry, I got this. So... Previously, we have been reading about the Beast solo run in Amazing Adventures, where he felt the best way to keep a secret formula safe from criminals was to inject it into himself. In turning him into the blue-furred, originally the gray, Beast we know today. And now that I've told you about the series that brought Patsy Walker from romance comics to superhero comics, it did, why don't we talk about some beers with our Power Pack picks? Hey Al, do you want a job? Hey! Can I get paid word of him? That's my job! <laughs> now, I did not have a chance to go bring Jeff a new beer because I've been busy and really I've brought him enough beer. So everybody's bringing their own beer and it's going to be just a surprise what everybody brought. So, Al, you're our guest. Tell us what you got, man. I have Suborbital New England Pale Ale. It's got a Pegasus burning a Pegasus. I'm not sure if he's just so fast he's fiery or maybe he's about to die because he's on fire. Well, he's going suborbital, so he's uh, doing the re-entry burn. Yes, and he's going to be a dead Pegasus soon. Hey, maybe he's a space Pegasus. I, maybe he's I just sh- a cool, heavy metal Pegasus coming down to Earth. But a new- I still like that, though, because it does remind me of the Juggernaut coming screaming into Earth through his portals. Mm-hmm. Oh, that same part. I didn't think about that part. But yeah, New England Pale Ale. It is from Massachusetts, so, you know, New England, it's somewhat local. Nice. But the nice. story, yeah, four, uh, was it 4.7 alcohol, one pint? But it's the story that I fell in love with or, you know, thought I could BS my way enough that it sounds like it's appropriate. Take your pick. Anyway, bright and beautiful, a nebula of tangerine and tropical fruit notes will welcome you to another world while keeping you grounded on this one. Just like a certain K. Marco is grounded in one world, but trying to get to another. Nice. Very well nice. played, sir. Absolutely well played. Done. Well played. I will tell you what I got. I brought myself from my fridge Bat Squatch Indian Pale Ale. I was looking at one of those today. Yeah. Dedicated to the legend. And this has got this just horrifically disgusting creature with these big ears and big wings. It's a, it's a bat squatch. And it's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. For years, rumors have circulated that deep in the woods on Mount St. Helens lives the fabled bat squatch. While there are many tales of bat squatch, they're a bit hazy on the details, which makes the truth such a juicy mystery. So what better way to honor the elusive legend than with a hazy IPA, perfect for camping and potentially making a new friend. The Juicy Cloudy IPA features intense tropical flavors and aromas, and it's six 
6.7% ABV. I thought of beasts jumping out of the woods, and I saw this. I'm like, yeah, that'll work just fine. Just fine. Excellent. I am doing Elysian's Dark of the Moon Pumpkin Stout. Ooh. Oh, nice. Because nice. if you notice the label, it's got a beast werewolf ish. Very beast, beast looking in front of a full moon where Hank hangs out in front of full moons constantly throughout this entire run. Uh, and the title of this one is, and the juggernaut will get you if you don't watch out. Much like pumpkin spice because it's the Halloween spicy season. And so this is a pumpkin stout. So I got the beast reference and the pumpkin stout for Halloween going on. It Bravo. Is- gentlemen. Yeah, it's 7.5% alcohol by volume, and it is Dark of the Moon Pumpkin Stout is spookily smooth and chocolatey with a touch of cinnamon. That actually sounds quite tasty, and I think Jeff wins for the ABV award for the night, too. Yay! I call it parent juice. Hey, you know what? For a hazy IPA, it's actually pretty smooth. It's got a nice little bite to it, too. Not really getting the heavy... Heavy hits of uh, hops, which is nice. Yeah, so New England Pale Ale. I've never heard of that. I'm assuming, I'm wondering if that's just, okay, that's a thing? Yeah, the New England Pale Ale is, I, I think it's less on the hop side, if I remember correctly. Jeff, is that about right? The New England Pale Ales? Oh, it's been a bit since we've had one. I think you are right. I think it might be a little bit more like a lager than a than a... IPA. It is a little closer to that because it's not as like, I don't get like the bite or like the bitterness like an IPA. I, I think it's less on the hop side, if I remember correctly. Jeff, is that about right? The New England Pale Ales? Yeah, it, it's interesting. We've had enough IPAs now where it's the, there is such a wide spectrum of what they are that you can't, I can no longer say I don't like IPAs because I've had some that I've really enjoyed and I've had others that I go back to my original statement. So, but not bad. I can definitely taste some of the fruity notes they're talking about here. What did they say? The tangerine? Yeah, tangerine tropical. I can taste some of that. My Dark of the Moon is pitch black yeah. and smells like pumpkin spice. It has got that cinnamony smell, that nutmeggy smell. It smells pretty much like a pumpkin pie. I really think I want Jeff's beer. I got more over here. I'll share. And it's good. It's a, it's a pumpkin spice stout. It's exactly what it is. It is a, a pretty decent stout with pretty decent pumpkin spice flavors in it. Take a stout, throw some pumpkin spice latte in there, call it done. It's pretty Ooh, good. That sounds good to me. It's, it is smooth. It is silky. It does have little chocolatey tones to it. But mostly, it's that. On the left-hand pr- flavor profile, stout. On the right-hand, pumpkin spice. And the two meet and overpower each other in turn. <laughs> Jeff may be winning the best beer here Unfortunately, it's sad when that happens. I may have specifically gone out for this beer today simply to have a winner for the recording. I'm going to tell you honestly, I've had this beer in my fridge for quite a while and I've been looking for a good reason to to drink it. Tonight's a good reason and I actually kind of like it. Yeah, I think we've reviewed it before. (laughs) We might have. We might have. I think we've had it on the show before and I think we liked it. Yeah, I picked this up yesterday. It's not bad. So I'm glad I have. I mean, it's it's not like I'm going to suffer through the can, but I would, I usually do prefer a stout over most types. So I would like that one more. Yeah, me and Rick both. Once again, I'm going to say at some point in time, we will meet and we will drink beers together. I like that plan. Until then, though, I think we're going to have to uh, talk about a comic book and it's going to be this comic book. So, Jeff, opening credits, hit me. Amazing Adventures, Volume 2, Issue Number 16, January 1973. And the juggernaut will get you if you don't watch out. Credits. Writer, Steve Englehart. Penciler, William Robert Brown. Marie Severin. Inker, Frank McLaughlin. Colorist, Glennis Ween. Letterer, Charlotte Jenner. Editor, Roy Thomas. Featuring The Beast and guest starring, check this out, Glennis Ween, Len Ween, Jerry Conway, Steve Englehart, 
Vera Cantor, and absolutely zero, not a none, no members of Power Pack. Beast is a tangential one because he's been in some Power Pack comics. That's about as close as we can get that way. I, I don't think any of them even were born yet. But anyway, I just want to ask a question that all comic book readers always ask. How did we get here? For me, by letting the days go by and letting the water hold me down. Well, according to my finely tuned sarcastic nature, we got here through the magic of the internet, computers, and the unflagging patience of each of our partners. True. All. Very true. But I was kind of hoping we could focus on this book. Ah, well, Al, I can handle this one. The prior issue, which featured the Beast and Angel fighting the Griffin for some reason that was not clear on the cover, ended with Hank McCoy in a library and running into some lady. Then the writer of that book promised that this book that we are reading would somehow harken back to the two prior Marvel books about Rutland, Vermont. Nice, Jeff. Glad you did a little bit of research prior to the show. Research? I don't know what you're talking about, Rick. I'm just reading a script I haven't even looked at out loud. Still, I think Jeff actually was correct, but I'm not sure how we got from a library to the beast standing in the middle of the road of Rutland, Vermont, howling at an oncoming car. These are the mysteries and spooky happenings that occur between the panels and outside the pages of comic books. Also, it is either a mundane reason or we will be told later. One of the two. For now, let us watch as the car stops and the beast leaps into the forest. Four people get out of the car and they're odd, strange, different. So they're four comic book creators. I stand by my statement, Al. Better hope Weezy doesn't hear this part. Leaping out of the car to watch the blue beast bound beautifully between boughs are Steve Englehart, Jerry Conway, Len Wein, and Glennis Oliver. Glennis was at the time married to Len. The car belongs to Steve, and apparently is a real piece of junk. A fact that some of the occupants complain about more than they comment on the fact that there was a monster on the road! Hey, Jeff, these are comic creators. They don't have to worry about the monster. They've seen things. I mean, especially Glynis. God, do you know how many bare-chested wolverines that poor lady had a color in? Good point. But while this quarreling quartet continues, the beast has ceased his bounding and put back on his human disguise. Wait a second. Uh, could you explain this to me? All right, let me, I want to try and use Florida terms for you weird Pacific Northwest people. Dude has a skin suit. Whoa, Al, that sounds wrong on way too many levels, and I, for one, do not want to ponder what you mean by this. And yet, Al's not wrong. This book is taking place shortly after the beast turned himself blue and furry after science broke bad on him. In order to not freak everyone out and to make his own ego feel better, he has a realistic-looking mask and gloves that cover his bestial features and makes him look like a pre-experiment Hank McCoy. And now, properly attired, he goes back to where he left his lady friend, Vera. She's patiently waiting while Hank went to scare up a ride. Well, <laughs> I see what you did there. And I'm annoyed that you're being given all the good lines. That was a good line. Have you listened to our show? That's about as good as they get. We are the very definition of a sliding scale. But anyways, Hank leads Vera to the Mustang full of real people that are around the bend and just standing in the middle of the road. The pair run up to the group and beg for a free ride. Steve Englehart thinks that Hank's looks familiar, but he's happy to help them out. Everyone squeezes up into the car and heads off. And just in time, because with a... Brack room! The Juggernaut is deposited onto the road from a mystical vortex. Not unlike a... Wait, I know what the brown Juggernaut falling from a red hole in the sky looks like, but I want to remind you we are a kid's show. Good timing for those good people to drive away. The Juggernaut makes a mean road trip, buddy. Trust me on this. He hogs the radio and won't share snacks. Apparently old Juggy has spent some time in some far-off cosmos, but now he is back. 
Do you hear? The Juggernaut's back, baby! He is, and he wants some of that sweet, sweet revenge. And he's going to get it, and nothing is going to stop him now. Yeah? He feels like a shooting star leaping through the sky like a tiger? Well, he does until another vortex opens up and rips him from the planet as he cries like a little baby. As Mr. Kane Marco flies through the universe with the greatest of ease, we are treated to a montage of how the Juggernaut wound up in this predicament. Eh, normal comic book stuff. Beamed by the X-Men, sent to the realm of Nightmare, beamed by Doctor Strange, tossed around the cosmos by Eternity like a cat playing with a toy mouse. Eh, happen to anyone. But then this mysterious voice that is providing the montage to the Juggernaut tells him about how last Halloween, Doctor Strange was brought to Rutland and how this Halloween, Beast is here. And you see... It is all their fault. And you should really just kill the beast, because... Hank's the beast. Hank's got fangs, razor sharp ones. Massive paws, killer claws for the feast. Hear him roar, see him foam, but we're not coming home till he's dead. Good and dead! Kill the beast! Whoa, 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 slow down there, Gaston. Kane Marco does not need this much info. You had him at Kill the Beast. So that strange force drops Juggernaut into the middle of the rotten Vermont where it looks like the Halloween parade is getting ready to go. No time for that now, Dr. Jones. The clunky car has made it to the hotel. <laughs> Barely. And everyone continues to tell Steve how horrible and disgusting the car is. I mean, look at all of this blue fur. It's everywhere. Where did that even come from? Good thing Hank's mask can't blush. And so before Hank and Vera leave to do whatever the hell they're doing there, Steve lets them know about the party at Tom Fagan's house. But the questionable couple is not invited, so they can't go. Real nice, Steve. Way to rub your privilege in strangers' faces. Hank wants to check out the parade, but Vera reminds him that they are on a mission. They have to get to Canada, or the world will die. For reasons. I have so many questions about this. If I remember right, Hank is a brilliant scientist whose specialty is having a doctorate in the Marvel Universe, but his secondary degree was in mutations. And I believe, as I pointed out, he is so smart that he mutated himself into a blue furry monster by stuffing his veins full of a secret formula. All the science talk make Jeff sleepy. Jeff doesn't do science anymore. Jeff want to see a parade. Then let's check out the Halloween parade, or should we say the start of it? It looks like the guests and town people are all decked out in their Superman and Batman and Flash costumes. Wait, what? This is MC, not DC. And Vermont is VT, and in VT they can dress however they want. This is the heart of the Rutland crossovers. Because it's Halloween, it's okay for IP crossovers. Just check out Glindis, who is dressed up as Supergirl, with a giant G instead of an S on her chest. Actually, the whole gang of creators are here, and they wanted to let Vera and Hank know that they scored them an invite to the party. But as the two actual Marvel comic characters, who aren't wearing distinguished competitors' costumes, make some lame excuses as to why they can't attend this comic creator's cotillion, Juggernaut then makes an appearance to cause chaos. And destruction. And threats. Let's just face facts, guys. Juggy's a jerk. And after he makes a lot of strange statements and destroys a lot of Halloween floats, the strange pink portal beam that brought him back to Earth pulls him back out of the story again. Well, Gorsh, I didn't know Jugs had yo-yo powers. And as the other characters recover from, well, whatever that was, they notice that Glynis has disappeared. Have you seen how much coloring work she did for Marvel? She probably had to pop back into the office because one of the artists waited till the last minute to turn in a project. Good guess. But not really. You and I, Jeff, will sort of find out where she went when we cover Justice League of America 103. Not Justice League America 103 tomorrow night when we record with Tim Price. 
cool. It's good to get that squared away because I've already read the wrong one many times. But a couple of questions, though. What is a Justice League? When are we recording? And do I need to read the comic, well, the proper comic, before the recording? And how much is a Tim Price? How do you two get anything done? Marvel magic, my friend. And speaking of which, Hank takes charge and has everyone search for Glynis so that he can do some of his own Marvel magic. I'm sorry, I meant Magic Mike and Strip. Dude, it's a family podcast. You did not let me finish. Out of his Hank skin suit, because this looks like a job for the beast. Kill the beast. No, you already did the musical cue. <laughs> Luckily for the third XX man, Halloween is the perfect time for him to be out of disguise in plain sight. So, Beast leaves town, heads into the woods, where the mysterious pink bean rematerializes old Juggy, and they fight. Crum crump! The Beast throws things of the Not Ben Grimm variety at the Juggernaut, and the Juggernaut throws the Beast against things, again of the Not Ben Grimm variety. Really, if it was not for our hero's acrobatic skill, he would just be a furry patch of blue roadkill. The Juggernaut has one weakness. One, I tell you. If you can get his elbows off, this makes him weak. Or something. Look, it's one of his weaknesses. But the Beast is learning that the Juggernaut is pretty fast. And he really does not want his helmet to come off. So Beast tries a new tactic, jumping over an electrical generator on top of a dam. Blizzrak. Which the Juggernaut just speed walks through probably blocking out the entire town of Rutland and ruining the Halloween party. Again. The Beast dives into the water, hoping he can outswim the Juggernaut. But our bright blue boy forgot that he is a giant furry, which becomes instantly waterlogged, and he loses ground to the powerful villain. Juggernaut catches the Beast and knocks him down a hill. But the ground on the hill is so unstable that when the bad guy continues to give chase, he slips and slides, unable to climb back up the hill. Well, the Beast makes it back to the top which allows Hank to retrieve his disguise and head back to Fagin's Halloween party. Why? Why would he do that? He knows that the Juggernaut is out there. Why would he not take care of that problem before endangering other people? Because the whole point of the story is to visit Rutland and Fagin's party. And the story was getting away from the writer, so this had to happen. Lucky for the Beast and our narrative, this Tom Fagin is a kind chap, one who does not ask any questions. And he just lets into his house any old Tom, Dick, or Hank who shows up at his door. Hey, the party is hopping, and he probably thinks that Hank is nothing more than an unsung letterer who is just trying to hang with the rest of the cool kids. Speaking of cool kids, Roy and Gene Thomas are on the scene talking about comics. You know who else is on the scene? Kane Marco. Blizzrak. The wall-busting juggernaut. Oh, yeah. See, this is why I do not invite comic creators to my home. They always... Always invite one of the creations to Kool-Aid Man into my pad. And that ain't cool with me or my HOA. Hank, being a true hero, runs deeper into the house in order to hide, endangering as many innocents as he can and cause as much property damage as possible. I would like to disagree with you, but that really seems to be correct. And when the Juggernaut catches him, he rightfully calls Hank a coward. Get lemons, make lemonade. While the running and hiding failed, it allowed Hank to stand up and pull off his mask and give... Big bad juggernaut, eh? In quotes, scare. Hey, I guess a man given enhanced strength and endurance by Marvel nonsense magic, who has been across time and space, they can still flinch of a good old boo. So I guess there's hope for humanity? Maybe. And with a flying lunge and a snarl, the beast pops off the juggernaut's helmet like it was a piece of paper balanced on a squirrel. Paper balanced on a squirrel. Quirrell. You tried to come up with a good simile at 6 o'clock in the morning before coffee. Be glad you got humor. Don't ask for competence. 
Well, with the helmet off, Juggernaut tumbles down a set of stairs and screams that his powers are now stolen and that he is doomed. Doomed, I say. And he runs away like a frightened squirrel. Really? Squirrel? Look, my inspiration is what I can see out my window, and right now that is a squirrel. So while I may be stuck on that right now, you don't have to worry. Jeff will clean this up in a pass-through that he'll make of the script. Let me think about that, Rick. Hmm, no. I'm leaving these lines in and making you say them. <laughs> what can I say? I like squirrels. Ah, well, hung by my own petards. The scared juggernaut is trying to get away, and he thinks the best chance is Steve Englehart's cruddy car, which will not start. <laughs> Let's all play the juggernaut and laugh. <laughs> Zoom! The beast spear tackles Juggernaut out of the other side of the car and continues to pummel. Pow! And punch! Clud! And kick! Chunk! The age right out of Kane Marco's demagicified body. Wow, just did a last crusade there. Gray hair, withered old man, missing teeth. Hey, beast just beat up Grandpa! Apparently, the other dimension traveling the Juggernaut had done had aged him, but the magic and hate had kept him young. So here's a lesson, kids. Hate and anger not only bring you to the dark side, but it also keeps you young and tough. Rick, that's not really a great message to give the kids that are listening to our show. And the Juggernaut sadly proclaims that he must return to the other dimension to die. So, bye Juggernaut. We will never see you again. Never, ever, 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 ever. Uh, unless another writer brings you back in the future, but what are the odds of that happening? So, three panels to wrap up. Glennis is back, but she's not sure where she went, and she doesn't care. Halloween is for cutting loose and having fun, kind of like the Beast, who is sadly howling at the moon. The end? Question mark? Spooky ending. Well, gentlemen... Get out your electrical pads and power them on up because I know none of you actually own the hard copy of this comic. Let's Correct. talk about the cover of the issue, shall we? Mm -hmm. We are looking at Amazing Adventures featuring Beast for 20 cents. This is number 16. We've got the Beast and Juggernaut like fighting on a roof and the Juggernaut says, Al, you've got a Juggernaut voice. Your strength could never match the Juggernaut. You are doomed from the start. And Jeff, your voice is very much like a caption, so... One must die in the dark of Halloween. And down below, we have, like, the Invisible Woman and, and the Vision and Iron Man and Thor and Spider-Man and, and Captain America, and they aren't helping, and they aren't in this book at all, so they must be probably people just dressed up as them. I don't know. In Iron Man's defense, he is pointing at the action, going... Up there! Oh, they're all reacting to the action, yes. but, you know, they're, they're doing like, hey, up there! That yeah. looks like something! <laughs> that's where my drink is! <laughs> Not up there, that's where I left my stuff. Uh, here's the thing about this cover that keeps on drawing my eye, and that is, if you look at Juggernaut's mouth, it looks like he has a little pencil-thin mustache. Yes. Yeah. He doesn't, but it's just the way that they drew it, his facial features underneath his mask or his helmet, and I'm like, oh, a little uh, Jean-Pierre yes. mustache, okay? That's that's a thing. Your strength could never match the Juggernaut. You were doomed from the start. Oui, oui, oui. Oui, oui, oui. Oh, baguette. <laughs> I don't know French. Uh, croissant. Uh, croissant. It's a fine cover. It's yep. just we're kind of missing the point of this book. I mean, if we want to get people on here like Rutland, Vermont, the crossover, some, something to really sell. Well, they can't say it's a crossover. They can't say it, but they can say something about Halloween or mm -hmm. something else. Well, it does say Halloween. 
Yeah, it does say Halloween. You know what they could have done? They could have had Beast and Vera walking like down a street and up above them, a portal open with like Juggernaut coming through. And it could have just said crossover. Or or it could have said mystery in Rutland, Vermont. Yep. Ooh. Ooh. And those in the know would know. This just seems a little pedestrian. And plus it's taking place on a roof and we don't... There would have been cooler places, even if oh, it was yeah. even if it was the parade. They did something on the parade with a bunch of people on the side. Even if you couldn't really tell the characters, just have the characters off color, maybe just a little bit. And you're going, hey, that kind of looks like, but it's not really mm-hmm. a DC character. That could have been good. They could, they, could, they could have had mannequins in costumes getting knocked off a of parade float. Something just to tie in a little bit more of that. It's fine. It's neat. It's just, I think they could have done more with it. It would have been sold it a little bit more. They might have been partially drawing you in with the lie of these other characters that you really like as well. And they also might not have cared because there is one issue left of this beast run <laughs> in Amazing Adventures. And just a spoiler warning for anybody. So you think, oh, well, at least if I read that, I'll know why they had to go to Canada. No. No, no. you won't. It has nothing to do with that. It's a flashback. It is a reprint of backups from earlier X-Men issues telling Hank's origin as he fights the Conquistador. I was going to read that, too, because I wanted to know what was going on, because I'm like, who's Vera? Why do they you, need to get to go to Canada? Is she just some crazy lady who loaned no, on to No, Vera. Hank? I know who Vera, Vera is. is somebody. Because I started collecting comics back in... 1963? The late 80s. And, well, no, late 80s when it was X-Factor. And yeah. Beast had a run, run in back with Vera. And it's like, oh, dear, it's Vera. And at that time, she was a very perky and hyper librarian. Yes. Not unlike now. But she was very much kind of that new age girl type of a thing. This was Hank's on again, off again girlfriend that he had, who was a nerdy librarian and who just didn't care that Hank was the beast or anything else like this. And Hank was always just ashamed to be around her and treated Mm -hmm. her horribly. And yet she was pretty wonderful to the beast. Okay. She didn't deserve Hank. I have probably seen her before then in the comics past. If you read early issues of X-Men, like the first 20, 30 issues, Mm -hmm. Hank and uh, Bobby Iceman are always going out to Greenwich Village to meet up with the two girls that they date. And that's Hank's girl. Yeah. I kind of liked her. Even even back then in the beginning, I was like, wow, she's really, really wants to be with Hank. And Hank's not giving her any time of day. And I'm like, not that bad. Yeah. No, if you want to see what what actually why they're going to Canada, you have to read Incredible Hulk 161. Okay. We should also mention, too, that the art of the cover is done by Jim Starlin, Giosoia, and Mori Kuramoto, which I could see some of Jim Starlin in here. It kind of is also why there's three people credited with the art, which I guess might be the the art. Maury's a colorist. This is kind of a small picture for three artists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Frank just did the mustache. Probably. (laughs) Probably. Yeah, yeah, he'd sneak in and just draw mustaches on characters go, credit me. (laughs) They're like, this character doesn't have a mustache. I said, credit me. (laughs) Let's talk about this issue a bit. We kind of mocked it a lot. Well, there is... Now, the sad thing is, I've read the Beast Run in Amazing Adventures. Mm -hmm. This is probably one of the better issues. Wow. Yowza. (laughs) It only went from issue 11 to 17, so that didn't last long. Okay. I have read before 
the beast turning himself into the beast because it's one of those things in comic books like he went through the entire early run of x-men as human looking yes he had big feet big hands but that was his thing and then all of a sudden he shows up in avengers and he's blue and furry and trying to hide his appearance and well what's all this about when i started reading x-factor i started around x-factor 20 and he was just about to turn back into the blue furry beast at that time because he had a run from issue two or three, I think it was. Yeah, he turns normal to like 31, 32 with the whole Infecta thing. Yeah, that's right. Because it was the Fall of the Mutants that was, well, he started to get kind of dumb around 20. He was getting stronger and dumber, yes. Stronger and dumber. And then he got in the Infecta kiss. He saved Bobby from getting kissed by that. And then he turned back into the blue. One of the best moments too is when he shows up as the blue furry beast. That was excellent. Well, Walt Simonson art. Well, yes, Walt Simonson art and Wheezy Simonson writing. Yeah, no, it was a great moment. I love that run of X Factor. (laughs) We do, you know, I have read that before, and I think you're right, because once you read that, you're like, well, this is kind of dumb. (laughs) Well, yeah, first of all, there's not much thought put into it. I mean, sorry, I I like plenty of things that Inglehart has done, but yeah, Steve, okay, first of all, so how did Hank and Vera get here? Just mystery. Did they just walk? They just teleported? Walked. They were hitching a ride. We don't Plane know. Crash. We don't know. It's like, we don't know. We have to go to Canada. Okay, well, let me get my car. No, no time. We have to go to Canada now. Can I call someone for a ride? Can we take the bus? Let me get a train. No, we have to walk now. Steve Englehart got the memo saying, hey, you need to do this Rutland, Vermont thing. You got to get them over there. Okay. They're there. There we go. They did, they, what, one they did sitting this. on a rock. They did that. And that's how they got there. They left turn at Rhode Island. I've been giving this a lot of forgiveness because I, I don't know what came before or after in the Amazing Adventures, you know, serial line kind of thing. Uh, so I'm just like, this is a crossover. They kind of have to do some stuff. You get the goofy comic creators, characters that are in there. They're kind of just doing a thing. Okay, fine. There's some DC-ish characters there. They're just doing stuff. And I, I give them a lot of forgiveness for that because they're kind of dealing with their like, oh, this is kind of our fun. We get to put ourselves into it issue sort of thing. So I, I gave them a lot of leeway. But now it's seeming like that, that I shouldn't be giving them that much leeway. <laughs> <laughs> they put more effort. In this one. Yeah, I think that there's things that they could do as well. I'm, oh, yeah. This is a fun opportunity. And like I said, kind of read the book that comes sort of after this, the book we're going to come tomorrow. And I'm like, oh, this is what you could have done. You could have done something a lot more fun, a lot more interesting. There seems to be a little bit more connective tissue in there, too. I think a little bit of the art might be a little bit better, too. I wasn't yeah, entirely impressed with the art in this book, either. There's a lot of odd notes in this one where they're just like yeah because like you were saying it's like we gotta go to canada don't grab your coat don't grab your wallet we just gotta go and but they do that where it's just like we've gotta go yeah there's no time we can't go to your party we need to leave right now or do you want to like just check out the parade for a bit and we can check into the hotel and kind of hang out and we've got to search for this girl but i'm gonna run through the woods i'm nowhere near anybody yeah it's just it, it would have been yeah. a lot more interesting if the prior issue, Vera was like, we have to get to Rutland, Vermont to get something. And then they spent their time in Rutland, Vermont, looking for something that they then found in Tom Fagan's house. Mm-hmm. So it gives you a reason to like go to the parade. And they go mm-hmm. to the parade, they get the clue to go to the, the house. If you made this a little bit of a murder, like a, a mystery kind of thing, a fetch quest to go and do some things, yeah, then we can tie in. And then you could also have a lot more opportunity to interact with DCS characters instead of them just being a little bit in the background. Mm-hmm. You could have had a lot more fun with that. Honestly, they could have done it as simple as 
just saying, oh, our car broke down. And then when they get there saying, well, we have to stay here the night until we get a rent a car tomorrow. And mm-hmm. then boom, you have. Or the car breaking down on the road. And then they get the bum, bum the ride with Englehart and the other yeah. creators, which I like. That's kind of fun. But then yeah, and I just kind of wish there was other things they could do. Yeah. And they could have just put that in with words because yeah. otherwise it was just a werewolf standing in the middle of the road, scaring drivers, hoping that they'd stop when you bound back into the woods to go put your pants on. You know, it's. Yeah. I love when people are doing things in comics just because it's the title page. Like, I have to be standing here on the road as the beast because yes. I just said I'm walking over to see if I saw a car coming by. So for that, I had to get changed completely. <laughs> yeah, I have to have glowing red eyes and claws extended and look like I'm about to bite the moon. Ah, I'm a wild creature. Yeah, it's just, it's it's the splash page and sometimes they're stupid. Yeah. If you look back, I mean, it happened one night is a 19... 19- 1929 film, 1930 film, something like that. And the premise of this is you got two people, they're on the road. The woman stops a car by pulling up her skirt a little bit. Mm -hmm. This has been done a long time. You got Vera. Sure, Vera's a little librarian. You don't need this. You could just have Vera out there like, hi, damsel in distress. Something like that. You honey trap people. You Mm -hmm. honey trap them. Yeah. Yeah, Bugs Bunny used to do it all the time. The beast's disguise. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> what technology is is he using for this thing to be pulled on and off and for it to be <laughs> as malleable and pliable as it needs to be? Yeah. Yes, I know comic book science and everything, but come on, man. Look at a picture of him in his Hank suit and he, his shoes. They He's got like normal size or small feet as opposed to his big old beast hoppers. Well... This is just a magic outfit all around. He's got, like, latex. He's got the gloves to make it look like he's got skin. His his sharp nails aren't poking through those. Nope, not he's at all. got the shoes that make his feet smaller. He's got the mask, which looks like a human face as opposed to just, like, Carnival Barker nightmare scenario on American Horror Story. I got two things I can say to this. One is he was the first person to invent Spanx. That's really what this is. Oh, okay. It's just <laughs> squeezing all of this up into his shoulders because they kept saying that he's got these massive shoulders. So it's just squeezing all that up to his massive so- shoulders. And two, I'm not going to give Rob Liefeld any problems about him drawing feet anymore because obviously, see, that, that happened all the way back here. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, not These new. feet were drawn, at least. Or <laughs> hidden behind mist or a rock or a phone book. The beast mask in disguise, it just is crazy and ridiculous. Let's just call it alien tech. That's up there with Batman taking the mask off and having the Batman cowl with the, the, you know, ears underneath whatever mask he's wearing. Oh, well, Mm -hmm. I can can believe that. That's the world's greatest detective. I mean, Beast is a pretty good scientist, but he's not that good. I mean, if he was a really good scientist, (laughs) he would be able to figure out a way to turn himself back. Maybe he makes Batman's masks. Hmm, possibly. That's that's where he gets his money for his science experiments. That would have been good. Oh, no, my mask ripped. Hey, there's Batman. Maybe he can get me a new mask. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even better, he takes a mask off of one of the guys dressed as Batman and he wears it. <laughs> He's like, it's Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween, Rutland. That would have been great. <laughs> that would have been cool. Money on the table. Money on the table. This would have been classic. Let me ask you guys a question. This is a very serious question. Juggernaut. You like him? Yeah. Juggernaut. Love Juggernaut. I've always liked him. My first introduction to him that I can remember, I think he was fighting Psylocke, Rogue, and Longshot. Mm. And just, he, mm-hmm. he, if I remember correctly, he was drawn great, as opposed to in this issue. He looked really cool. And I love an indifferent Juggernaut who's just going somewhere and heroes are bothering the, the daylights out of him. And he's just like, I just, whatever. 
I'm going over there. And everybody's doing stuff to him. And he's like, you don't want to get my attention. I'm just going there. I have nothing to do with you. This is not about... I'm just... I'm going there. The best one of those still has to be Uncanny X-Men... 185? Yeah, I think it was like 185. Yes, the bar. And this is right after Secret Wars 1, where they come back and... When they're off planet, Colossus has fallen in love with Jaji or whatever. Yeah, Jaji. Yeah, and so he comes back and he's feeling very, very sad and upset because he has cheated on Kitty, and so he breaks up with Kitty. Wolverine and Nightcrawler take him out to a bar to drink and to get him drunk and to teach him a lesson. <laughs> and they're at the bar, and Pete's feeling so sorry for himself and sad for himself. And Wolverine looks over and goes, "Hey, that's Kane Marco over there, huh?" And so he basically sets it up that Peter's drunk and Peter runs into him and then eggs him onto a fight. And those two get in a fight and Nightcrawler's like, should we get involved? And he's like, nah. <laughs> and the juggernaut just beats the tar out of Colossus. Yeah. And then when he gets done, looks over at the bar and the bar is destroyed. And Juggernaut takes out some money, throws it on the counter and says, sorry about that. And yeah. it's just as beautiful. It's like, he didn't want, he wasn't looking for a fight. The fight mm-hmm. just happened and he paid for the damage. It was... Mm. Perfect. Yeah. And he even looks at Wolverine like, you want this? He goes, nope, not my fight. I'm not involved. <laughs> not involved. <laughs> yeah. No. My favorite Juggernaut is caliber number three, where he's in England, cap- probably captured from the one that Jeff was talking about, breaks out mm-hmm. of prison, pummels the hell out of Captain Britain, who keeps getting up to fight him. And Juggernaut's like, oh, you're the local good guy, right? Oh, that's cute. Anyway, <laughs> we got stuff. I got stuff to do. So let- we can play later. Beats the hell out of him. Even gets, you know, Megan's, Megan does better, but still beat her up. And then, because he has no helmet on. So, unlike what this comic says, which is the only time I think I've ever read that where the Juggernaut is powerless without his helmet. No, he has all his powers. He just is now vulnerable to mental attacks yes, without the helmet. Exactly. And then Phoenix. Mental or magic, I think. Yeah. Well, I, well yeah, I don't know anything about magic because most of the stuff I read was the X stuff, so yeah. it didn't have magic. So, possibly, though. I'll, I'll agree with you. Sure. But yeah, he's beating the hell out of them. And then Phoenix just flies over and he has no helmet on. She goes, hi, I'm Phoenix. Guess what I do? And he's like, oh, no. And then she goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> Bing! And just knocks him right out. <laughs> the cover of that one's great, too. It's like you just see the juggernaut walking in like Captain Britain's like right there. He's got like juggernaut feet on him. Yeah. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, he's like in a hole in the ground with like a juggernaut footprint on his face and chest. Looking like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I love talking about comic books we like more than this one. Oh yeah, well, it's easy. I mean, there's, there's many. There's so many. Yeah, there's so many. But yeah, so to answer the question, I like Juggernaut. Yes, same here. And we got some good times where we like the Juggernaut too. Juggernaut in this almost fine. There is parts of this that are good Juggernaut. Whoever is messing with the Juggernaut, dropping him into places, knows how to use the Juggernaut. I'm just going to drop him in cause chaos, pull him out, move him over here and drop him somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I like that. It's kind of like what we were talking about. The best moments of Juggernaut is just when he is dropped in, go forward, cause chaos, we'll we'll stop you when you, you're done. And when he doesn't have a clue about what's happening to Yeah, there's that. It, it was pretty ridiculous because his origin story was, okay, so you fought the X-Men and they threw you into Nightmare Realm where you then fought Doctor Strange for a while. Then you got tossed over here and then Eternity threw you into a different dimension, and now you hate Beast. That might be part of the book that I love the most, because <laughs> this is that early or Silver Age Marvel baloney. It is just Marvel baloney. And it's tying it together. We are keeping track of where we put our toys. 
we put our toys over here. Well, we got to yeah. get him back. Okay. Well, he's bouncing through the dimensions. All right. Sounds good to me. It's ridiculous. I don't need an entire explanation on it. He doesn't know what's going on. It's just happening to him. <laughs> he's catching up the reader on it. Cool. That's more logical than anything the Beast is doing. Yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Beast is crazy in this run. <laughs> Speaking of craziness and the crossover. Yes. We got the comic book creators in this book. Again, blurring the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Al, what are your thoughts on this? That's the main reason you want to read a Rutland com- Halloween comic is for that little fourth wall blurring. Because especially this issue, for instance, not that great, but it is kind of fun when Steve Englehart, who's been writing the Beast Run, looks at Hank and goes, yeah, this you're kind of familiar. <laughs> are you the guy I've been half thing for the last six, several months? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. <laughs> But it's fun. I mean, I like the fact of having the creators in there. You know, it's it's not all the time. It's just mm-hmm. these Halloween issues. Every now and again. Roy and Gene show up again. Every now and again, you'll see this in some books. We covered the sensational She-Hulk, and mm-hmm. that was very fourth wall breaking. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that run was always fourth wall breaking. Yeah, but I want to say that there was a couple other ones, too, where I was like, oh, those are your characters. You deal with them. You see that from time to time, especially in the Silver Age comics, where all this happens. Well, because all the creators knew each other. Yes. They had to live in New York City, so all of them were roommates, friends. I mean, that's why Len Wein and uh, I forget who created Man-Thing, but, you know, the people created Man-Thing and Swamp Thing were roommates at the time. Yeah, and they had the same idea. Yeah, all these people knew each other. They hung out, so it was very easy for them to write each other, you know, go, yeah, let's put each other in there. What the hell? Yeah, and you see that from time to time now, too, but not as much because we don't have more of a global community. But there are places mm-hmm. where you do see this can this can still potentially happen. Oh, speaking of all this stuff, just to, uh, for more modern stuff, I've forgotten about this. It's been a while since I read that run, but Gail Simone, because she meant, made a joke on Twitter about, you know, involving Rutland. I've said, if, you're, if you've got that, you're probably old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also, <laughs> apparently, she had said, and I forgot this, her Secret Six run, their headquarters was in Rutland, Vermont. <laughs> so let's make ourselves feel bad, though. So technically, we could have done any issue of Secret Six by Gail Simone, and that could have counted as part of the crossover. And instead, we did this. Yeah. There's always next year. True. Because right now, I'm depressed. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, maybe in a year, you'll be happy. Well, let's pick you up a little mm. bit, man. Let's pick you up. What was your favorite part of this book. I said that my favorite part was probably Juggernaut bouncing through dimensions. I found that to be delightful. What was your favorite part? My favorite part is watching Beast forget that ju- what Juggernaut is, is Juggernaut just tramples through everything. He's like, oh yeah, this is the Juggernaut. I forgot about that guy. Oh. He's like, maybe he'll be avoided by, nope, he just goes through it. Well, maybe that was, <laughs> nope, just goes through it. Maybe water will, will solve this problem. Oh, that's my downfall, and he seems to not be bothered. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> What was funny on that, too, is that when it's like, oh, the mystic properties of his powers is not letting him sink. I'm like, well, and Spider-Man tricked him to go into some cement and he sank in that. Uh, Well, whatever. Different writers, different stories. Yeah. Magic is as magic does. (laughs) He's more magic-y now. Jeff, what about you? What's your favorite little part in this tale that we just read through? I kind of really like Glennis Ween. Just she seemed bubbly and effervescent and neat. She has to be. She's hanging out with three crusty old comic book writers. Yeah, I just liked her. She seemed like a fun person and really was like engaged with when Juggernaut appeared, you know, and started trashing floats. She's like, Hank, he's coming right for us. Get out of the way. It's like, oh, she cares about people, too. Yeah. Okay, I think that we've talked about this book enough. Let's go ahead and talk about it a little bit more. Let's get into our final thoughts, shall we? Oh, no. We want to talk about some cool things in this book. And like we always do, we are going to talk about our gallery of greatness. And Tom Fagan's got a really nice house, so let's go ahead. And he obviously likes comic book characters, so he won't mind if we put some of the pages of this comic book up. 
or he might. I don't know. Let's talk about some funny ones. Did everybody find something very funny in this book? And wouldn't you like to share your funny panel? Al, you are our guest. Go ahead. My uh, fun joke one is, I call it, I'm trying to see if I can do a David, no, I can't do David Tennant voice. I don't want to go. <laughs> Which is panel page four, panel three. The first time the whole pink hole decides, get back here. And he's like, I don't want to go. Yeah. I want to stay here. I loved how tough and burly he was when he's, I'm back on Earth, baby. Juggernaut's here. Yeah. No, 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 no. I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. Don't make me go back. <laughs> Hold onto a tree, this break, and as he's getting pulled back into the portal, and the tree just pull, just comes right mm-hmm. up to the roots with it. Yeah, that's my favorite. I love that. That that made me laugh. <laughs> no, don't make me go. Yeah, he's getting sent back to his room. <laughs> Mom, I don't want to go. You're in a timeout, kid. <laughs> Jeff, can you go ahead and tell us what your funny one was? I can. It is on page eleven, and I call it. Hank hates trees. <laughs> There's a whole lot of tree hating in this episode or issue because they just break trees all the time. But this one is just egregious. It's like Beast is out in the woods hunting. He's either looking for Glennis or looking for No, he's juggernaut. looking for Juggernaut. Yeah, he's looking for Juggernaut. He's just doing whatever. I think because he had just sent everybody to go look for Glennis and he's like, well, time to become the Beast. Yeah, he lied about looking for Glennis. <laughs> yeah, but he's just like, no sign of him anywhere, and I've been everywhere, and he's just ripping trees apart with his bare hands. It's like, why do you hate trees, Hank? Why do you hate trees? He's not an environmentalist. Nope. Nope. He also really looks kind of like your, uh, what was that squatch. called? Bat Bat Squatch there. Yeah, kind of sort of does. It's not the most flattering picture of the Beast. I think the Beast is a very cool design. I've always liked it. He does not look very cool there. No. Speaking of not looking cool, I want to take you back to the second page of this book and the Beast getting changed back into Hank and he's changing back into himself and there is the melted man there. Hank's mask (laughs) on the rock on the second page. It's like the mask and the hands and it's just like this melted puddle of goo and it's just, I don't know why it made me laugh. I looked at it and I'm just like, like, <laughs> Hank's melting. <laughs> all the all the costume face mask stuff, it's all stupid and funny and a horror show all at once. Yeah. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. We've mocked this, and not all of the artists are best, but I know that each of us can find three pieces of art in here that we really like. I know we can do it. I have faith mm-hmm. in us. So, reverse order. Jeff first. On page 15, mm-hmm. hey, hey, hey. I call it, Is That Werewolf by Night? <laughs> Because it's a werewolf-looking uh, Hank, and speaking of the mask and costume, he's got a man's severed head! <laughs> melted. Skinned, melted. 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 He just ripped the skin off a guy's head! And he's looking at the castle, the moonlit moors, which is Fagin's house, backlit by the full moon, because the full moon is in the back of every every shot everywhere. So <laughs> Bravo for Hank being able to find where he hid his uh, mask again after he'd all that fighting with the juggernaut. So that's oh, pretty impressive. Gosh, yeah, they were far ranging. I'd set stuff down and be like, I guess it's the woods now. <laughs> <laughs> I hate when I can't find my skin suit in the middle of the night. <laughs> in the woods. Being from Florida, I feel that that is a really true statement. <laughs> it probably has been said by the people before. But real quick, Jeff, I just want to say, actually, good call on that, because when I was doing some research the other day, yep. it said that one of the reasons they changed the beast was due to the success of Werewolf by Night. Oh. Seriously. That they made him actually look a little bit that way because of the success huh. of that book. 
Nice. That's funny. So, nice, ca- nice catch. Get nice. a little bit of that werewolf heat. Speaking of werewolf heat and skin suits, Al, what is your favorite picture in this? <laughs> I'm actually going for a page. I like, I'm trying to figure out what, because I'm using the Marvel Digital one. It yeah. says page 12, but I think it's actually 11 since you're not counting the cover. It's the one, it's four panels. It's the fight with the juggernaut and the beast. It's actually not that badly composed, like done. Like you can actually see how this fight works with the juggernaut slamming down as the beast kind of dot pirouettes away. Yes. And then yep. you could leaps onto him. Like it actually kind of worked. You can see how this will work where Hank jump from that side, jumps on top of him, and then trying to jumps off as the juggernaut hits the tree. It, it actually works here. This actually all makes sense. So I was like, good job. This is a good page. Uh, yeah, I will say I do like the fights in here. The fights for as ridiculous as they come about, the fights are really cool. And that actually brings me to kind of my top one too, which is part of a fight thing too. It's where the juggernaut busts through yep. the electrical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, the juggernaut might not be drawn great in it, but it's very cool. You can see the action. You just see the juggernaut blob coming through this building. Blazark, which is very cool how it's written around the explosion. And it's just a very cool destruction page right there. A panel right there. I liked it. I liked the page before that, too, where it showed Hank leaping over the generator house. Yeah. Going like, oh, now, now that'll slow him down because he'll have to go around it or something. Nope, through. Yeah, and, and a so. very cool motion. Yeah, and I will say, reading that on Marvel Unlimited using panel by panel, that actually looks a lot cooler because it's actually broken down a bit. Nice. So, like, you see in, like, two or three different parts of him jumping over, so it actually looks a lot better that way. Oh, yeah. Okay, I see what you're saying. That does look <laughs> pretty darn cool. Well, I'm going to do that, too. Let's do panels. Hmm. Oh, that's pages. All right. That is not that is not a dumb choice, Al. And I say that because it's time for rubber and glue moment. What was the best or most childish insult in this book? I'm kind of wondering if we don't have the same one. I would be kind of curious on this one. I'm going to go throw mine out first. Juggernaut calling Hank a coward. Oh, uh, that's a good one. I did not do that one. I thought about it and nope. I knew it was going to come up. Yeah. I just like that. I just, I liked the setup of it. I agreed with the juggernaut and I'm like, yeah, Hank's a coward. That's awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. Al, what is your top insult? Mine is, well, it's sort of an insult, but it also, because I'm just reading this and it's kind of in my head the way like Biff Tannen would yell, would make insults. It's like, yeah, well, you're powerless of a body full of broken bones. <laughs> same Z's, same yes. Z's. Yep, that was mine as well. <laughs> Loved it. Yeah, I thought that was just so great. Yep. It's funny as a screen door in a submarine. <laughs> or a screen door in a battleship. Very nice. <laughs> I'm glad that you guys matched. It's so cute. You guys are twinsies. We coordinated. Yes, I can tell. I, I can't tell you two apart. It's pretty scary. All right, let's move on to the bestest costume and this is something different that we're doing for this one but in honor of halloween i thought it would be really cool to figure out who's got the best costume it's a halloween party there's costumes galore everywhere what do you guys think who's got the best one it doesn't look like a costume but it is hank's skin suit is amazing same same it is amazing (laughs) because of how well it works Taking a monster and making a man where all these other men are making yeah. themselves monsters or heroes. Yeah. So I wrote that in there thinking I'd put something else in, but then I went through the thing. I'm like, no, actually, Hank's skin suit is probably the best costume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, second prize maybe to uh, Glynis as Girl Super. Yep. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yep. Definitely. Yep, 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 yep. That was on my list as well. I'm like, I'm like, oh, it's Glynis. I'm like, well, actually, it's I mean, not. as long as you take the Hank thing out. Yeah. yeah, so if you took Dennis Hank Glennis. out, then it's totally Glennis. Totally Glennis. Agree. Maybe third place, the guy who was dressed as Batman that was standing on the float. That's a pretty good Batman oh, costume. No, my second prize is Bearded Cyclops. 
<laughs> There's a, a pretty good bald fat Hulk on one of them talking to Doctor oh, Strange the, as well. Oh, on the float. Yeah, yeah. that too. Yeah. That was good. All right, let's move on to the most popular and most shunned. Who is the best in the book? Who is the worst in the book? Who wants to go first? Who wants to tell us their worst? We're doing worst. It's got to be that coward Hank McCoy. I said the beast. He's kind of the worst. Yep. Yeah, I'm agreeing yep. with you on that one. Actually, I'm going to be outlier. I'm going okay. with Vera. So, Vera, Ooh. why are you here? Oh. Why are we here? Why are we going to Canada? What's going on? What's happening? Can can you say something? No, no just, just go away. Just go away. Just go away. That's she fine. was my original first place on this. She was my original worst. And then I started rereading what, what Hank is doing. It's like, you're standing in the middle of a moonlit road, scaring drivers. Glennis has disappeared after a juggernaut attack. Maybe she was hurt in the scuffle. Everybody run far away from where she would probably be buried under some rubble. <laughs> oh, uh, hey, I know. I can put a hydroelectric generator house that's powering the city in danger. And Oh, Juggernaut destroyed it. Well, that was on him, not me. I just baited him. And then I'm going to bring Juggernaut to a house full of people. How about that? Yes. That's a good and idea. Then I'm gonna, and then I'm going to hide in the crowd <laughs> to escape. Hopefully Juggernaut won't see me. I'll hide in the crowd. You sold me. Vera, you're off the hook. <laughs> yeah, but Vera, trust me. Vera was my original burst. Because it's just like, what is this crazy broad doing? Because she's giving no information. And it's just like, even when Hank's all like, look, I, yeah, I know. We got to go to Canada, crazy we're, pants. We're because otherwise the world will be destroyed. How come? Oh, well, you're a scientist and a geneticist and a mutation expert. And I hope you're as good as I think you are. That's nothing, Vera. We went from New York to Vermont. It had to take a while. You could take five minutes at that time. Yeah. Just yeah. tell me something, anything. Anything. You Clue? Something? Hank's the worst. Vera right up there. How about the best? Who's the best in this book? Steve Englehart, baby! Same! <laughs> How about you, Al? <laughs> Juggernaut. You know what? Not bad choice. I mean, yep. did he accomplish everything? No. But you no. know what? He had specifically defined, defined goals, and he took active steps to actually make his goals. He had a plan, and he went forward with the plan. He said, this is what I want to do. Unlike yep. other people, yep. what I want to do is stay on Earth. Yep. And this is how I'm going to try and accomplish that. He failed, yes, but he did. But you know he what? Tried. He tried. And mm -hmm. as we lie to our kids and tell them, that's the important thing, that you try. <laughs> it's not whether you succeed or not, it's whether you try. try. Also, he died with his boots on. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I agree, but I still like Steve Englehart. He mm -hmm. let people use his car. He mm -hmm. gives Beast and Vera a ride. He takes just so much gruff from his friends, and he yep. gets Hank and Vera a ticket to a party. He didn't yep. need to do that. He didn't need no. to do that at all, man. And did I, I know Bob Brown has still worked since then, and he did not kill Bob Brown for making making him look like you know he was balding prematurely. <laughs> <laughs> he seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah, so, he was pretty yep. great. I give him credit for that. I think it's fun. I was thinking I was going to be an outlier on that. And people are going to be like, oh, these people. And it's like, nope, nope, Steve. Nope, Steve. Steve. No, Steve was good, though. He actually did <laughs> stuff. All right. Let's start getting out of here. But first, how's everybody liking their beers still? Al? Yeah, it's not bad. I'm Actually, this is it. I'm almost done. So made it through the show. So that's helpful. I enjoyed it. I've been nursing mine. I'm like, oh, you're getting really low. But I still want to drink you. Sippy, sip, sip, sip. I'm still working through mine, but I've got a big old boy here. This is a you got a bomber, big right? old bomber yeah. here. I've emptied it now but my glass is full so yeah no i, I would I, I would actually drink a new england pale ale again yeah nice nice i think this bat squatch is really good as far as an ipa goes hazy ipa it is not very hoppy which is very nice a little bit frightening because it's a bat squatch but it's not a bad little beer jeff you had what looked like the clear winner tonight 
How's it going? Mm-hmm. I'm loving it. It's great. Again, it is a uh, very nice. It's made by Elysian. They make really good beverages. Yeah. I love their stuff. My one of my favorite beers is their Split Shot. It's a coffee espresso slash milk stout. Ooh. Love it. This is in line with that. It is really good. The pumpkin spice is a little stronger than I might want, but it is definitely present. But it it is kind of almost feeling like I'm like I think I'm getting the spices. Just the ground powder might be on my tongue right now. It's that strong kind of thing. It's, it's really good. I'm enjoying it. Uh, I would totally drink it again, which is good because I have more of those in the uh, garage. <laughs> it's a good four and a half for me. Nice, nice, nice. I think mine's a good four. I like it. It's enjoyable. How about out of uh, one to five there? How would you rate yours, Al? I would definitely say, yeah, four. It's a good, solid, decent one. Or maybe like a 3.5. Between 3.5 and a four. It's a good, solid, decent one. Is it knocking my socks off or making me go, I must get more of these? No. But it would be a possibility to get again. You know, it's not, it'd be like, yeah, yeah, sure, I'll get that. Why the hell not? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it seems like we all liked our beers, which is really good. And I know another thing that we always really like that's really good. And that is Kids Perspective. And that is where Rick talks to his 12-year-old daughter, Carrie, about the issue that we just covered. So, Rick and Carrie, please take it away. Hello, Carrie. Welcome to Halloween. Oh, I'm sorry, not Halloween. Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, we right? kind of passed Halloween a little. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you why we missed Halloween. The plan was to do all this on Halloween, but silly, silly Jonathan Schaefer Hames from Married with Comics, he just was driving us the wrong direction, and he just got us lost, and we went right past Halloween and right to Thanksgiving. It's his fault. Yeah. Well, that was a nice little inside joke. How are you doing? How'd you like reading this comic book? I didn't know what was going on. Like... <laughs> I was just confused. Yeah, I just handed you my tablet and said, read this comic. And later on, you said, hey, where's Power Pack? And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're not there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to put you back in time, Carrie. And you are just a kid like you are now. And you're going through the grocery store and there's this wire rack that's filled with comic books. And you just picked up this comic book and started reading it. And what's your feelings? What is going on? Okay. That's my feelings. What do you think is going on? The beast, he like puts on a mask and everything like it's Scooby-Doo or something. And then he hitches a ride with like four other people. Mm -hmm. And he's got like a lady with him, and there's this guy named Juggernaut. They go to, like, a Comic-Con sort of, like, thing, almost. Mm-hmm. Party, and there's DC characters, and yep. then Juggernaut shows up, and, like, he keeps coming out of these pink portals, all angry-like. He's like, I'm gonna get my revenge, then he gets sucked up, and then he comes back, and he's like, okay, now I'm gonna get my revenge, and then he gets sucked up again. And then he comes back out, and then he's like, okay, now I'm going to get my revenge. And he and Beast does this long fight, and then he, like, gets defeated, and he ages because he gets defeated. Yep. Yeah. Somewhere along the way, a girl, I have no idea who the heck she is, got lost, and then came back, which I don't know where that was going, but anyways... And then, oh, and then Beast does this, like, really j- majestic, dramatic standing on a ma- mountain in front of the moon. Wow. <laughs> that's pretty much it. That's exactly what happens in this. You're missing some context, but that's okay. We'll figure that out. Did you enjoy this book? Yeah, I mean, it was a read. 
I think I need context. <laughs> well, if you were reading this book when it came out, you probably wouldn't have too much context unless you were following along with this book or other things. You might have been just as confused as everybody else because you didn't have the internet and you may have just been a kid that liked reading comic books from time to time. It's a little wacky adventure, right? Yeah. You picked up on the fact that there were some people dressed up as DC characters and that's a little odd and strange, right? Yeah, but I can kind of see it, I guess. Maybe maybe Marvel's comics... Everybody in the Marvel DC, their comic books are DC, and everyone in the DC universe, <laughs> their comic books are Marvel? I don't know. So I will explain a little bit about what's going on here. The place where this party takes place is Rutland, Vermont. And back around this time, there was a guy named Tom Fagan who was holding a big comic book-themed Halloween party, and it became a big deal. So Marvel and DC decided to write comic books that centered on Rutland, Vermont, and they had these crossovers where they would have the other comp their competition show up with people dressed up like the characters from that competition. And so it was kind of something for fun. The people that picked up the beast in their car, those are actual comic book creators. Those are actually oh. the people that wrote this book. Oh. The one lady who disappeared, she actually does a lot of coloring on a lot of books that you have read. The guy whose car it was, he's the guy who wrote this book. So, yeah. Wow. So it's kind of just a fun little romp. It's just kind of a fun little goofy thing. You enjoyed reading it though, right? Yeah. Okay. Then it worked, didn't it? Yeah. There wasn't too much you really needed to follow. No, I guess the editor's notes were like, hey, remember that one time in that comic book you didn't read? Yeah, <laughs> that, that, you remember that? I was like, no, but sure. Thank you for reading this and thank you for joining us on our fun little annual tradition, Carrie. You're welcome, even though it is Thanksgiving. Do you want to say happy hollow Thanksgiving? Thank Goween? No, that sounds really that weird. <laughs> that sounds awful. That's terrifying. No. <laughs> All don't, right. Don't keep that in, please. <laughs> oh, I'm keeping that in. No. Thank you very much, Carrie. I love you. Love you too. Happy Halloween, Carrie. Happy, happy Halloween. And before we take off and go anywhere, Al, if people wanted to find you on this magical thing they call the internet, where could they do that? Well, you can find me at Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast, where normally we're talking about comics involving, you know, Marvel Cosmic and Adam Warlock and Thanos, because it's right in the title, see? Although, there should be an episode coming out right around now, which is about a Thor issue that has nothing to do with Adam Warlock or Thanos, but it is about Rutland. So, listen to that one after you listen to the Outcasters episode with these two fools on it, because it's part three. <laughs> fair, fair. So, find that wherever you look for podcasts. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos. It'll pop up. And, um, yeah, or on Twitter, at Adam Thanos Pod. We're also on Blue Sky now. Pretty much just also at Adam Thanos Pod. Jeff and Present is a bi-weekly self-produced podcast recorded in front of a live studio audience of a bunch of comic books that are strewn all over the place because I've got a plan in a couple weeks to sell some, and they're everywhere in Portland, Oregon. And also in Florida. If you would like to interact with us through the magic of the internet, you can do so through Twitter, at Jeff and Present. 
Blue Sky, Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word, at gmail.com, or at our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, we got a YouTube channel, can you believe it, at Jeff and Rick Present. And if you would like to help support our show, we are on Patreon. You can find us at patreon.com, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we'll be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to heroinitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us wherever you can. Tell your friends about us or share your love for us on social media. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. My wife, Kim, and our dogs who can't stay out of this room, Parker and Sammy. We We love love you. Until next time. Costumes off. Our theme music is 80s Action by Kevin McLeod. Also featured in this episode is Plucky Daisy, also by Kevin McLeod. All music is found at adoptdeck.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Hi, Owl's Wife. Bye, Owl's Wife. Pow. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Yeah, I'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, I'll shoot your eye out. Pow. Inker. Frank Malofflin. Inker, Frank McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Beer burp. Pow. And we've got the boost in... Blip. Pow. Who well, just got interrupted by his own Hulk. Yes. A.K.A. Yes. his daughter. Yes. Yep. So, that's fine. Yeah, that... Uh, my constant distractor. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>